When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Why, hello there, friends, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you are listening to episode 151 of the Sustainable Minimalists podcast. On today's show, I am giving you 10 tips on how to live below your means without feeling deprived. Now, here in the United States, we celebrate Thanksgiving on the fourth Thursday in November every year. So if you are listening to this episode at or near release date, you are likely in the throes of gratitude, of the throes of Thanksgiving. And every year, there's some irony to be had, right? Because On Thursday, we celebrate all that we have, and we feel grateful for all that we have. But then on Friday morning, on Black Friday, many of us wake up early to imbibe in some Black Friday deals. That irony is not lost on me, (laughs) and perhaps it's not lost on you either. The day after we are feeling grateful for what we have, we go out and we buy more. So today, in honor of Thanksgiving, I wanted to explore what it means to not only say we are grateful with our abundances around the dinner table, but also act grateful every day of the year by buying less and spending less money. The benefits of living below your means are obvious, right? Living below your means consistently may lead to increased financial security and decreased financial stress. But in the context of this show and in the context of the themes we regularly discuss here, living below your means is a critical step toward self-sufficiency because having a financial savings net is essentially a buffer against setback. Buying less and even more important, desiring less and needing less helps the environment because Living below your means means you're also requiring less stuff to be manufactured for your happiness, and that also translates into less stuff being shipped, less resources being extracted from our earth, and ultimately fewer items to be discarded in a landfill at the end of their lives. Now, there are only two ways that I know of to live below your means. One is to earn more money. The other is to spend less of what you've earned. Today, we are just talking about spending less, (laughs) and I know from personal experience that it is easier said than done. I also understand, too, that some of you listening may not be working right now. You might be out of a job. So you may be thinking to yourself that living below your means as an episode topic during a pandemic is tone deaf to current reality. If that sounds like 
you and your reality, I hope that some of the suggestions I have for you today still remain applicable to you, especially the resources that I offer with regard to lowering your electricity and internet bills. So stay tuned for that. Now, this week's show notes is chock full of resources and websites to help you on your living below your means journey. They are all written in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 151. Now let's get right into those 10 tips. Tip one I have for you today is an obvious one, and it is to analyze those small daily purchases. When we talk about small daily purchases here in America, the first one that obviously pops into everyone's mind is that cup of coffee. There used to be a time in my life where I spent at least $3 every single day on a cup of coffee. At least $3, probably more if I was getting a latte, more like $5 a pop. But even just $3 a day, that adds up to nearly $800 per year just spent on coffee. What a waste. I was wasting so much money. I cringe just even thinking about it. Shark Tank investor, Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, has famously said that he refuses to spend $2.50 on a cup of coffee. Instead, he makes his cup of coffee every morning at home. He spends 18 cents making it at home, and then he takes the rest of that money, $2.32, and he invests it. Kevin O'Leary also says that living below your means starts with taking your paycheck and investing 10% of it every two weeks. And if you say to yourself, I don't have 10% to invest, Kevin O'Leary would tell you that that's not true. And cutting small things out, like coffee, will show you that there is always fat to be cut. Perhaps your vice isn't coffee. I stopped going to Starbucks and Dunkin' Donuts a long time ago, and to be honest, I don't even miss it anymore. But if I'm honest, I still have those small daily purchases to analyze. Currently, right now, for me, in a pandemic, my big vice is wine. And my wine purchasing is not a daily purchase, so (laughs) don't be worried about me. It's more of a weekly one. And even though I do not have a refined taste for wine, and even though I'm only buying the $10 wines... I'm still spending $10 on a bottle of wine every week, and that definitely and absolutely adds up. So my point here when we're talking about analyzing those small daily purchases is to think about what you're buying that seems like a small purchase in the moment, but definitely adds up when you look at it through the lens of a year. Perhaps it's scratch tickets, or perhaps it's stopping at the deli for a sandwich for lunch most days, or maybe it's just a soda with lunch, or maybe it's cigarettes. Perhaps it's a snack on the go because you forgot to pack a snack. Maybe it's a water on the go because you forgot your water bottle. All of these purchases, when analyzed over the course of 12 months, add up. So tip number one is to really analyze those small daily purchases and get them under control. Tip two for you today is to make the sales work for you. Now, what does that mean? Make the sales work for you. You know, I don't even have to tell you that flat screen gigantic televisions go on sale the day after the Super Bowl. They just do. So if you need one, if yours is broken, perhaps you wait until the day after the Super Bowl to buy one. You already know, too, that candy goes on sale the day after 
Halloween, November 1st. The prices on candy are just slashed to ridiculously low levels. Same with the day after Valentine's Day. Stock up when the stuff is on sale, then freeze the candy until the next holiday that demands those sugary treats. Making the sales work for you really makes sense when you think about grocery shopping. Plan your meals around what's on sale at your preferred grocery store. That entails either looking at the flyer, if you're still getting the flyer in the mail, or perhaps going to the site's website, looking at what is on sale that week, and then planning your meals around and essentially buying what is on sale. If there's something that you (laughs) know you use all the time, let's say it's, I don't know, vegetable broth, and it is on sale, if you're not in the habit of making vegetable broth at home, then stock up on the vegetable broth when it's on sale because you know you're going to use it. So tip number two is make the sales work for you. Tip number three is to cut back on eating out. (laughs) Now, this is so hard in real life, I know, but when you eat out, You're not just paying for their food. You're paying for the preparation, for the service, for the rent of the building that the restaurant is housed in, for the salaries of management, and then you're paying also for the tip. Eating out wastes money, and it can add up to hundreds of dollars every single month depending on how much you either go to a restaurant or order takeout. Now, I'm not saying never support your local restaurants again, especially during COVID. Perhaps we should be eating out mindfully in efforts of keeping these restaurants open for the long haul. But what I'm working on and what I'm struggling with, to be honest, but I'm really trying hard, is to shift my mindset around eating out so that eating out or ordering takeout is not a, oh, no, I forgot to plan dinner. We have to order out as a last resort. And thinking about eating out as more of a celebratory treat, more as an opportunity to dine with my friends and family, and less of a, oh shoot, I have no other option. Now, if you are in the habit of going out to eat, how can you make your bill less? Well, you cannot order drinks, right? Drinks are extremely expensive when going out to eat, especially, especially, especially alcohol. So instead of buying a drink, maybe you just order water. Another way to save money when you do go out to eat is to perhaps split an entree with somebody you're dining with. The entrees at (laughs) restaurants, at least here in America, are gigantic. So perhaps instead of ordering that whole entree and eating it all, perhaps you split with the person you're dining with, or perhaps you take the other half of it home. Maybe if you even eat more than half, maybe you still take that 25% of your entree home and eat it as lunch the next day. Now, when we talk about saving money on food, I know we're talking about restaurants, but we can also extend this conversation to the grocery store, right? There's always a balancing act to be had at the grocery store, because on the one hand, the healthy and eco-friendly foods, like the organic produce, for example, but on the other hand, you have likely heard me argue on this podcast before that the one place that you and I should splurge, if splurging is in the budget, is on food. And that's for two reasons. The first reason is that food goes into our bodies. And so it's literal nourishment (laughs) for us. The second reason is that Foods production, whether it's eco-friendly production or not so eco-friendly production, can either help or harm the environment, respectively, right? So it's always so fascinating to me how 
many of us, not all of us, but many of us don't even blink an eye when dropping $200 or $300 or, oh my gosh, $400 on a handbag, on a designer handbag, without blinking an eye. We don't even think about it. We think that's a good deal because of the quality of this designer handbag, let's say. But many of us will balk and complain over an organic cucumber that is 75 cents more expensive than the conventionally grown cucumber. It's just so mind-boggling to me. (laughs) And so in so many respects, I would argue that we, and when I say we, I mean the collective we, we have confused our wants with our needs. So tip number three is to cut back on eating out, but In a broader sense, tip three is all about analyzing how we're spending money as it relates to food. Now, tip number four is all about saving on your monthly bills. We all have bills, right? Bills are just one of those aspects to adulting that we all hate. (laughs) But again, we all have them. The sad truth is, however, that many of us are overpaying on some of our bills, and we might not even know it. So there are a bunch of services out there who will negotiate on your behalf for free and only get paid if they negotiate in your favor. The one I have tried and the one I have seen success with is Billshark. Billshark will, after you upload your bills, will negotiate your cable bill, your mobile phone bill, your satellite TV, your internet, satellite radio, and home security bills on your behalf. And you do not pay Billshark anything unless they end up negotiating lower rates for you. I ended up saving about $200 through Billshark. But according to their website, they have a 90% success rate and the largest they've ever saved a customer was $9,500 a year. That's crazy. Bill Shark is right for you if you are interested in seeing if you can pay less money, but you don't have the time or the patient to call all these providers yourself and negotiate on your own behalf. So try out Bill Shark if that sounds like your situation. Now, Bill Shark does not negotiate with electric companies. So next up is how to lower your electric bill. It's really as simple as heading over to electricityrates.com, putting in your zip code and seeing in black and white what service providers operate in your area and whether you are paying too much for electricity. And next up finally is cable TV. Billshark will negotiate your cable or satellite TV rates on your behalf. However, I'm suggesting perhaps today that because there are so so many cheaper alternatives on the market, such as Netflix or Hulu, which starts at $5.99 a month, or YouTube TV or Sling TV or a host of other providers to get your television entertainment, perhaps you consider just canceling your cable TV bill altogether. Cable or satellite TV can add up to more than $100 to your monthly bills. So if you cancel them, you could theoretically save $1,200 a year. Now, the great thing about the cheap alternatives is that you can still watch your favorite shows while also cutting expenses, which I love because this episode is all about 
living below your means without feeling deprived. And canceling cable TV in 2020, almost 21, is a great way in which you can live below your means without feeling deprived. Tip number five for you today is to invest in energy-efficient technology when the time is right. So don't go out right now and replace your perfectly good dishwasher or washing machine with an energy-efficient one. That is not (laughs) living below your means. That is not saving money, especially if you have a perfectly working appliance right now. But when the time is right, when those appliances bite the dust, and when it is time to replace them, Do the research and find the energy-efficient option that works for you, because replacing your appliances can significantly cut into your energy bills. Now, if it is not the time for you to replace your appliances with energy-efficient ones, know that there are money-saving and energy-saving products on the market. I'm just going to give you three right now. One is a smart thermostat. Homeowners can save about... 23% annually on their heating and cooling costs by making a real effortless change. Last year, my husband and I purchased a Nest on sale. It was as simple as hooking up a couple wires to it and putting it on the wall. Now I can change the thermostat from my phone when I'm not home to lower the temperature in the house when nobody's there. Easy. As well as set smart times for when the heat or the air conditioner can turn off at <laughs> at night. This is not a joke. At night, we have ours set to go down to 58 degrees in the winter. Our heat goes down to 58 degrees. And we don't even notice it because A, we're sleeping under a bunch of covers. <laughs> and B, I have set it so that when we wake up, the heat goes back on up to 62. Easy breezy. Another one is energy efficient LED light bulbs. I've talked about before on this show how LED light bulbs will save you a lot of money in the long run. And finally, a smart plug. What is a smart plug? A smart plug automatically switches items off when they're not in use. So if you often forget about unplugging things or turning things off as you leave, a smart plug will do that for you. I've linked to all of these in the show notes as well. All right, we're moving right along to tip number six. Tip number six is to stash your bonuses and bank your raises. Many of us are in the habit of spending our bonuses before they even arrive, right? (laughs) I know in my life, my husband and I often find ourselves thinking about and talking about what we're going to spend his bonus on months before we even see the money. And this is such a Western way of thinking, right? We spend money we don't have before we get it. (laughs) Now, getting a bonus can make you feel so great, right? A sudden windfall. And more often than not, we spend that money and we don't even remember what we bought or what we spent it on. So instead of spending all of that bonus, set aside at least 10% or even 20% to spend as you want, and then the rest you save. Now, the same principle applies for saving your raises. Instead of spending more every time you get a raise, increase your savings. Over time, stashing your bonuses and banking your raises can significantly increase your savings rate. And you're not even going to notice the difference. That's the best part. You're not going to feel deprived when you're stashing your bonuses and banking your raises because you're taking nothing away. You're simply saving more. Tip number seven is one I learned from my mother growing up, and that is to use cash. 
When I was a child, my mom would take my sister and me to the bank every Saturday morning. She'd have two kids in tow. She'd walk in and she would take out the cash she would use for the following week. Then she put it in an envelope, a very plain, a very white envelope. And once the envelope was empty, she was done spending. End of story. She didn't take out the credit card. She spent what was in the envelope and not a cent more. We in 2020 live in a digital world, and studies show that charging your purchases on credit cards will cause you to spend more. And that's because charging things separates us from the act of spending money. There's this buffer period where we spend the money, but we're not paying anything until the statement comes in the mail. Doing so leads us to spend more. Now, using cash, why does using cash work? Using cash works because it forces you to feel the pain of spending. There's something really introspective about the act of handing over physical dollars, counting out and handing over physical money, and that act can help you curb your spending. All right, we're moving on to tip number eight. And this is one I have talked about so many times on this podcast, but I am going to say it again. I sound like a brokered record. Here we go. Try thrift stores, yard sales, and buy nothing groups. Now, really quick, I have a story for you, and it is a success story, so I'm really proud of it. This year, my six-year-old asked for a lava lamp for Christmas. I could have gone to Amazon.com and bought her a brand new lava lamp for just $25, That's the going rate for lava lamps these days, by the way, in case you were wondering. $25. $25 for me for Christmas, for a Christmas gift for my daughter is not a ton of money. And so I very easily could have just clicked buy now and had a brand new lava lamp in my hot little hands in two short days with two-day shipping. And full disclosure, I've done this many times before. Uh, If any of you are longtime listeners, you know that I did this quite recently. My daughter needed a t-ball glove and I just bought one on Amazon. I didn't even think about it. So I am not perfect in the buying game at all by any means. But for this lava lamp, I had plenty of time before Christmas to acquire a lava lamp by alternate means without buying new. I had a buffer zone in place. I have like eight weeks to buy a lava lamp. So long story short, I asked around in my town's in search of Facebook group as to whether anybody had a lava lamp. A neighbor wrote back. She said she had one. I picked up the lava lamp in its box from her driveway that afternoon. So easy. Now, the box that this lava lamp is in is a little bit dented at the corners. Full disclosure. But otherwise, it looks to be a brand new lava lamp that I acquired for free. And I feel good about it. Not just because I saved $25, but also because I prevented a new lava lamp from entering my home, which someday down the line I will have to dispose of. And so theoretically, I also prevented a new item from entering the waste stream. Now, I know what you are thinking. You're thinking, but wait, you're actually going to give your daughter a secondhand lava lamp for Christmas. And my answer to that is, heck yes. (laughs) I did it last year with her Barbie dream house. My daughter wanted a Barbie dream house, so I got her one secondhand. She ended up loving it on Christmas morning. There were squeals. There were tears of joy. She, in the subsequent year, played with it just about as much as I expected her to play with it. 
And now she's not enjoying that Barbie dream house so much just one year later. And so I feel even more emboldened in my choice to give secondhand items at Christmas instead of spending money on new stuff. I think often about our society's reverence for new, and I often find myself wondering how on earth we can change this collective reverence for new so that we embrace secondhand items more and choose new less. I don't know how to do this on the societal level. I don't know how to change our collective group think around newness. But I do know that in my own home, I have the power as a parent to embrace secondhand as a way of life. And it's my hope that my children, as they grow, will follow suit. And fingers crossed for that. I'm not sure if it's going to work, but I'm going to try my darndest. Now, when we talk about embracing secondhand more, know that thrift stores are a great way to save money, live below your means, and acquire anything you need from clothes to appliances to furniture. You can often find brand new items with the tag still on for a fraction of the price of buying new. Now, this was a game changer to me when I started dabbling in thrifting. I had no idea you could buy something with tag still on, never used, at a thrift store for cheap. I had no idea that existed. Another great way to buy stuff for cheap is yard sales, garage sales. Perhaps you can acquire something secondhand for free by utilizing your town or your community's buy nothing group. I have covered thrifting before in episode 124 of this podcast. I have covered buy nothing groups and gift economies in episode 133 of this podcast. I'm not going to cover them again in the context of this episode, but if you missed episode 124 or episode 133, definitely go back and listen to those. I've linked to them in this week's show notes. All right, we have two tips left. Tip number nine is to use a cooling off period. Because e-commerce specifically, buying online, lowers the barriers to buying, it has never been easier to make regrettable purchasing decisions. And not surprisingly, impulse purchases can cost you an awful lot of money in the long run. According to a survey by Slick Deals, People spend an average of $5,400 on impulse purchases every single year. Think about that number. That is insane. People spend $5,400 on impulse buys every single year. An easy way to stop buying on impulse is to institute a waiting period or a cooling off period before making a purchase. For me, a rule that works so well for me, it's ridiculous how simple the rule is and how well it works, is to sleep on it before buying something new. This works for me, I think, I believe, because everything seems clearer in the morning, right? So I'm in the habit of if I see something I think I need or know I want or really like, I just put it in the shopping cart and then I give myself 24 hours to mull it over. This 24 hours gives me, it creates for myself, some breathing room. Now, for other people, I've heard it said that 24 hours is not enough. For other people, 72 hours seems to be the right amount of time. Perhaps in your house, you enact the rule that on purchases over $50, you must wait 72 hours. There's a 72-hour moratorium on spending. 
72 hours is a nice amount of time because it will give you the breathing room to overcome the high of purchasing something in the moment, and it allows you to really consider the pros and cons of purchasing objectively. More often than not, if you enact a cooling off period, I am willing to bet that you were going to realize you didn't need this thing after all, and that saving money and living below your means is the smarter choice for you and your family. But if not, if you decide you really need and you really want this thing, no harm, no foul, you can still buy it after 24 or 72 hours. At the end of the day, it really comes down to intentionally putting back up those barriers to purchasing that companies have stripped down so that purchasing becomes harder for you. (laughs) And a lot of times for me, it's as simple as putting up a small barrier, like not auto-saving my credit card in websites. Because if my credit card is not saved on a website, then that means I have to get up out of my chair or out of the couch. I have to walk to where my handbag is hanging. I have to extract my wallet, choose a credit card, walk back to the couch, plug in the information, plug in the expiration date, plug in the security code, and then walk back to my wallet to put the credit card away. A lot of times, just doing that, as silly and as simple as that is, is enough to make me rethink the purchase. All right, we are on to our last tip for today. And tip number 10 is to limit your time on social media. Now, social media can be wonderful for so many things. But one thing it is not so wonderful for is it's hyper-targeted ads. Now, if you have not watched The Social Dilemma yet on Netflix, I highly suggest it. My sister recommended it to me. Shout out to my sister. Hello. It has completely changed the way I think about ad targeting. Essentially, what I took away from this documentary, and there's a lot to take away from it, so if you haven't watched it, definitely watch it. But what I took away from it is that Facebook has hundreds of thousands of data points on each and every one of us. So for me to say that Facebook and Instagram and whatever other social media sites you're using If I said that those sites know more about you than you know about yourself, perhaps, I don't think that would be an exaggeration. (laughs) The ads that these sites show you are so perfectly curated to you and to your likes that it becomes incredibly difficult for you to turn away from them. All right, so let's think about it a different way, okay? Think of it like this. Pretend you are driving on the highway and you pass a billboard for a new truck, okay? But you don't really like trucks all that much. Trucks don't interest you. You're not in the market for a new truck. So you don't pay much attention to that billboard. Perhaps you glance at it and then turn back to the road. But what if the billboard knows that your Achilles heel is designer handbags? And what if every time you pass a billboard, the billboard shows you an ad for a handbag from a company that you love and have purchased from in the past. You wouldn't turn away from that billboard so quickly, would you? That is what targeted ads on Facebook and Instagram and wherever else are doing. They are showing you ads that you have in the past interacted with. So limiting time on social media is really, at the end of the day, a great way to limit your exposure to temptation. And when you're tempted less, you 
may perhaps, hopefully, fingers crossed, buy less. Phew. All right. So there we go. Those are my 10 tips for you. I'm going to read through them really quick to refresh your memory, but know that everything we've talked about today is in the show notes at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 151. All right. So tip one was to analyze those small daily purchases. Tip two was to make the sales work for you. Number three, cut back on eating out. Tip four is lower the bills that can be lowered. Number five, invest in energy-efficient technology. Six, stash your bonuses and bank your raises. Seven, use cash. Number eight is to try thrift stores, yard sales, and buy-nothing groups. Tip nine, enact a cooling-off period. And finally, tip 10 was to limit your time on social media. Now, this week, we have an eco tip, and it comes from yours truly. It comes from me. My eco tip this week is to consider downloading the EcoCart browser extension to Google Chrome as a means of offsetting your holiday shopping carbon footprint. Now, what is EcoCart? EcoCart is a Google Chrome extension. It is free for you to download and use. And every time you shop through the EcoCart extension at one of over 10,000 stores this holiday season, EcoCart will automatically offset the environmental impact of your order at no additional cost to you. So how do they do that? EcoCart will donate a portion of the proceeds to carefully vetted and scientifically verified carbon offsetting projects like growing trees or investing in wind farms that comply with major standards. So downloading the EcoCart extension and then shopping through it is a really simple and free way for you to offset the carbon emissions generated by your purchases. So check it out. It's linked in this week's show notes for you. I will see you all next week. Happy Thanksgiving if you are celebrating. Stay home, stay healthy, and take care, my friends. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.